Hey, uh, good evening, Internet. And coming at you live, we've got a special for you, this Kenter at Your Own Risk, episode 38, where we will be discussing what I was just informed was basically the top five cube-likes uh, movies. But uh, Kent and Chris have a special guest in one of our very best friends growing up, still now, even though it's been probably 20-some-odd years since I've seen him, Kevin Person. So, Kent, how are you doing? And welcome, Kevin. I'm all right. You know what? Actually, I'm surprised that you went along with Cube-like. I'm surprised you didn't go Cube-adjacent. Well, I've been playing a lot of Souls-likes lately, so maybe that was what influenced my decision. Oh, I've been playing a lot of roguelikes, so apparently we just liking stuff. Actually, I just beat three roguelites this week, too, so... I, I don't like... I, I hate roguelikes, to be perfectly honest. I don't know why I'm playing them, but, you know, here I am. Rock me like a hurricane. Anyways, Kevin, thank you for coming and doing this. We always try to get somebody else to break up our little monotonous middle-aged white man discussions, but... Uh, you know, it's like I've heard, uh, add a third person to, uh, you know, a threesome and it, you know, renews your marriage. Hopefully it'll renew this podcast. So, <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really excited about this. All right. So, uh, where do we want to start? Who wants to lead off with their number, I guess, five, because, um, uh, like I think it would be real easy to do like a top five and, objectively look and say, okay, these movies are, you know, you've got a group of disparate people coming together in some kind of horrific situation. A lot of times it's within a confined area, you know, a house, a cube, what have you, and they're trying to overcome whatever um, the situation is. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to pull uh, maybe like 10, 10-ish, that would objectively be right up there. Um you know, as for like the disparate group of people, I think a lot of zombie movies fall into that criteria just because of, um, you know, the situation that a lot of post-apocalyptic zombie movies fall into. But um, I don't think we're going to do the top five best. I think we're we're each trying to go to like, maybe not necessarily like the far reaches, but, you know, maybe, maybe some things that you guys haven't heard of and you just like uh, to broaden your horror experiences. So, um... Who wants to start? Let's let's let well, Kevin do it. Yeah, that sounds a good idea, Kevin. Oh, right well, off the um, bat. So not so so this isn't the uh, the fifth one, but I I do want to say that like because of the the genre of this, I I started with Cube, and I kind of outlined some things in it just to kind of like familiarize myself with with uh and uh, a couple things that jumped out. Uh, where the dialogue in Cube, which isn't always the best, even though I do really like it and it was really fun to watch it 20 years later. But uh, some of the things were, uh, we need to stay calm and work together as a team, as blatant as that is. And uh, you have to save yourselves from yourselves. So with that in mind, my number five is Climax, uh, directed by Gaspar Noé. And I chose this one because it is not like a vampire. It's actually, or zombie apocalypse film. It is, uh, 
It is an experimental art film about a dance, like a French dance troupe in an empty school uh, that gets recruited uh, randomly through these interviews in the beginning of the movie. And through the TV that we watch on screen, there are horror films along the side, like Suspiria, The Labyrinth Man, which turns out to be, because this is a French film, which turns out to be Eraserhead. There is Salo and um, and a bunch of others. And then there's like books on the the left side with like words like suicide and Fritz Lang. And this leads. Did you just say Salo? Yes, I did. Yeah. And I remember talking to you the other day about Salo. And uh, there's a couple other movies, too. I don't remember. But they were all like, oh, Possession was one, too. The Zulowski movie from 81 or 82. Just like crazy, crazy movies. So, yeah, which Salo, uh, Kent was telling me, is about a bunch of adolescent boys that get tortured. Is that correct? Boys and girls. Boys and girls that get tortured. Okay, so that is fit in this story. So it cuts to, um, after these interviews, they just pretty much talk about like what drugs they've done and like why they're dancing and... And these were the videos, I guess, they used to recruit these dancers. And it's been like three days, and it opens with this big dance sequence. And then it cuts to these two shots of of people talking. And so, like I said, it's been like a couple days. And I guess this would be like the dance routine that they're going to do and go on go out on tour with. And from the conversations, they kind of are like talking about who they want to have sex with and kind of like talking shit on people. And we kind of get to know who they are. This movie has been known to be very boring. Um, also, the director is, you know, it, most of his films, most people walk out on. Uh, no way usually means no. Uh, and yes, yeah, so. Then it cuts to this over-the-top long dance sequence where where it's very well choreographed and it's like very abstract dancing. And then like as the dances get later and the less it gets less crisp or like cunty, as my girl's girlfriend says, because she watches the ballroom dancing show on HBO called Legendary. Is your girlfriend the hound? Because <laughs> no. that's the only time I ever hear the word cunt anymore is the hound. I'm sorry. Cunty. Cunty. It's actually a compliment. Oh, it cunty. means like it means like very smooth movements. Oh, I was oh. Uh, I was taking it the opposite. <laughs> yeah, me too. I should have prefaced. Yes. And um, so the dance starts getting slower and then there's like blood and then it goes to the opening credits. And this is about 40 minutes into the film. From that, it starts getting sloppy, and then, and then it kind of goes to people kind of like acting staggerly, and then they realize that someone spiked the sangria that they've been drinking with LSD, and from there, this is where it kind of becomes a horror, or like why it's considered a horror film because it's just kind of terrifying. And for me, it was sort of like who someone who is done mass amounts of LSD and won't do it anymore. It was kind of like triggering in a way and very uncomfortable and it gets very disorienting and and then someone just pisses on the dance floor and it just 
people start belligerently accusing each other of like, you know, who whoever didn't drink the sangria must have been the one who who spiked the punch. And this is kind of how they all work together to like throw somebody out. And then this other girl reveals that she's pregnant. And then they assume that she spiked the punch or the sangria with LSD. And then, and then immediately after she reveals that she's pregnant, she gets knocked on the ground and kicked in the stomach a bunch of times and not to go through all of the horrors, but the camera work in this just starts following. And it's all like one clear shot of like following one character from the dance floor to through these hallways to these rooms where people are hanging out and it'll just go from one person to the next and we'll like kind of like Birdman in a way, but like, you know, like drenched in PCP and blood and piss. So it gets very terrifying. Some lady. Wow. That's uh... yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Will it be as effective for someone who has never had LSD? Do you think? It's still very disorienting, and at first the camera is in like this really great, like bright, like kind of brighter light, like where like uh, like, a, and then and then it kind of goes from like the different colors to the different rooms and gets very like red, and then the camera starts to like flip over, and you're following. It gets very, it's very disorienting, and that's like I guess what would make it like an experimental film where, and then actually to one point of the movie where it gets, you know, people are, you know, thrown out into the cold because it's like snowing and we're, we don't really see the outside very much. Uh, it's very like, there's no windows in this school. It's late at night and it, it kind of starts as like, you feel like you're the sober person at the party and everyone's totally fucked up and it's very uncomfortable. And then, you kind of feel like you're in the mix of it and, and the dancing in the background, like it's almost like contortionist and stuff, like some of the dancing. So it is, it is very like hallucinogenic and, and very like in a very traumatizing way. Um, I would think to even someone, not myself, there's not really a lot of well-known people. There's Sophia Botella, who's kind of the main character. She is, she kind of put this place together and then there's some DJs and then there is a uh, Thea Carla Scott, who's just a dancer and someone I follow on Instagram, but it all kind of leads to the climax of the film, which is everyone's on the floor having sex. And you're like, the camera is literally rolling on the camera or on the floor with the people who are rolling around. Some people are fighting. Some people are just totally wasted it is uh it is actually on this list the most scary film. It is also the film that I've seen the least, and that's why I put it on my number five for this. But I think that's it for well, without giving absolute absolutely everything away. Um but it sort of starts where you're kind of you know, it's sort of a mystery of who spiked the LSD in the sangria and then by the end of it you kind of just forget because it's just sheer madness. It it seems uh, interesting because I drink a lot of sangria. So <laughs> now I'm gonna be thinking about like shit. Is Gaspar No showing up to my fucking party? Yeah, also all I'm thinking of Step Brothers. 
I do you in the bomb while I'm drinking sangria. <laughs> I did see it on Showtime, so if anyone out there has Showtime, you should probably avoid it. Uh, I can, or if you, I bought that it. True. So. I, can, I can only imagine how um, like fucked up that would be watching that while you're fucking tripping. I saw a YouTube video where it said someone reviewed it while they were tripping, but I was too scared to watch it. And I'm usually pretty adventurous. <laughs> that that video sounds it belongs up right up there with the YouTube video I watched on the underground uh, sex industry of unicorns in Great Britain. <laughs> really? How long is this video? Um, yes. I want to say it's about forty minutes, and yes, it's it's what you're thinking: ponies with uh, horns on their head. I don't know if that was what I'm thinking, but it is what I'm thinking now. <laughs> do do they play the song "Pony" by Genuine at any point? I do not believe so. It's that well, is definitely far away from what the guy who started that unicorn cult <laughs> is about. Fair enough. You want to go next, Cat, or you want me to? Oh, go ahead. All right. So my number five. I think is going to be um it's it's I think it's a an oldie but a goodie because it's even been referenced in the Jane Silent Bob Strike Back but I had to go with uh Phantoms from 1998 nice by Ding Kuntz yeah <laughs> thank you um and, and looking back on it it actually has a pretty fucking Decent cast. Um, so you're talking Peter O'Toole, Rose McGowan, Liv Schreiber, Ben Affleck, uh, Nikki Cat, Joanna Going. I mean, not everybody went on to have huge uh, Robert Nepper, huge um, careers, but a, a lot of people did. But to, uh, to summarize it, uh, a couple of girls come to their hometown in Colorado and they find everybody's gone, uh, disappeared. A couple of sheriffs show up, uh, looking to see what's going on and they start getting terrorized by stuff. You can't tell whether or not, um, it's super, supernatural, extraterrestrial. Um, Peter O'Toole is like a scientist who gets recruited by the military or the feds. I don't quite remember. Um, and brought in to try to figure out what's going on. Uh, it wasn't a great movie, but I mean, shit, just like Jay says, Affleck was the fucking bomb in Phantoms. Um, I remember it kind of riding the, the wave of after Scream and after I Know What You Did Last Summer, where it was you know, relatively pretty young people uh, in a relatively low-budget horror movie with a decent script. It's kind of uh, how I remember it. And it had one of those trick fake-out endings at the end that uh, a lot of horror movies did that I don't think we see as many of now. Uh, we're like, not necessarily the villain, but, you know, like a bad guy or something negative pops up in a different way after the end of the movie in a different area kind of shit. Kind of similar to, like... um Nick Stahl and disturbing behavior at the very end. 
I don't remember that. I think I saw that not that long ago, too. I did... I actually saw Phantoms at your house, Chris, with you for the first time. That A, a lot of the horror movies I was looking at, I was like, God, I think I... I know I saw some of them with... um with uh, oh, I think this would have been the only one that I would have seen with you guys because everything else on my list that ended up throwing on my list is um either from like army time or after. But uh, but yeah, I was as I was going through lists looking at this, I was like, yeah, I saw that. I know I saw that with Eric. So I was I was like, I wonder. I was like, Kevin had to have been there. I don't remember if Kent was there. Like for the f- the first Hellraiser I saw was um. I think it was Hellraiser 3. It was whatever the one with Craig Sheffer was. And uh, I was like, I remember watching that at Eric's house when I was a teenager. I don't remember who else was there, but I knew other people were there. It wasn't just like a a time when it was just me and Eric. I don't... I don't think I've ever seen Phantoms, and I never watched a Hellraiser with anybody. You've never seen Phantoms? Nah. I... For a lot of his earlier stuff, like... Watchers is pretty good, you know. I, I especially like it because it had the time in it. Um, yep. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't think they ever made Strangers into a movie. So this was yeah, Phantoms and and Watchers were two of his earliest things that I remember getting theatrical releases. Like I've talked with you before, Kent. Somewhere there was a Servants of Twilight movie made that was like a made-for-TV movie. That was actually really good, but um, I don't think it ever got a theatrical release. So yeah, this would have been one of not only just a pretty decent horror movie in the '90s, but one of a good Dean Arkunsa adaptation. Uh, I know it came out before Hideaway, so that's for sure, and and um, Intensity, that's for sure. So nice. Yeah, I remember liking Phantoms. I haven't seen it in a long time. And also, it wasn't on my radar for uh, these kinds of movies. And I did kind of do a decent dive on, on Google. Yeah, I was just like the, I don't, I mean, the thing that stuck with me when Ken and I first talked about it, and maybe it's just a little different than what he was anticipating, but it was like the the group of unknown people coming together to have to, Figure it out. I mean, I guess that's basically what Cube is, but uh, that doesn't. Ne- I guess it doesn't necessitate being entirely inside like a cube. Yeah, I, I think the spirit. the The beauty of this is that we can all interpret this any number of ways, and that's why we really shouldn't have too many repeats on our top five. You know, part B of the podcast, probably a lot of the same shit that we've all seen and you know, talked about ad nauseum, but uh, these top five, or favorite fives, whatever, these fives that we're all individually talking about, they should all be relatively different because you can interpret this shit any number of ways. I, I mean, I even have films marked as I don't know because I was like, I don't even know if I can interpret it this way, but I might. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, Kent... Bring us in with your number five. Um, Alright, so I'm looking at a list, and I'm just going to randomly go with Blindness. Um, I don't even remember when the hell it came out, but uh, 
It has um, Mark Ruffalo and Julianne Moore. Um, came out 2008. I don't even... You know what? Looking at IMDb, horror is not even a tag. It's drama, mystery, and thriller. I disagree with, with that sentiment because a whole uh, epidemic, pandemic, whatever, of people just fucking going blind is pretty messed up. You know, you know what I mean? Um, and to see how humanity devolves and how the people with vision treat those that are blinded. Um, and just kind of seeing like the lengths that people will go, like, you know, at some point, you know, there's a food shortage. So, you know, do we give up our women to get fucked so we can eat? You know, that, that's kind of a, a horrific thought process. Um, also, there's, like this eerily haunting rendition of um wow why can't I not Ray Char uh Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder's uh I just called that song to say I love you. It's exquisite and if nothing else, the movie's worth it just to hear the hauntingly rendition uh, of that song. Um <laughs> this is before I I don't know, Ruffalo wasn't big big time uh, as far as mainstream, because he hadn't been Hulk yet. Uh, and he was solid here. Very solid. Julianne Moore, solid as always. Uh, I don't know. There's a few other people that probably have some kind of name value to hardcore uh, fans. I mean, Danny, Danny Glover. Glover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I like that he's just credited as man with black eye patch. That, that's fantastic. I see that. Um, Yeah, it, I I don't know where it's streaming. It's another one of those things. I randomly found it on some list many, many, many years ago, at least five years ago, um, and I fell in love with it, and I had to buy it. So I highly, highly recommend it if uh, if you're looking for more of a dramatized horror, I guess, about people with no vision. I gotta admit, like losing my vision is one of the scariest things I can think of. Yeah, it it's terrifying and like something I like. I don't really want to spoil it, but like towards the end, you even see how the core group, after you know the survivors that survive the, I don't know if it's a military base, but where they kind of store all the blind people, like when they finally break free you even see how they start splintering away because it's tough to keep a group of blind people in the midst of chaos <laughs> together. Uh, which I appreciate. Like, it, it adds a little sense of realism because it, in reality, if you had a group of like eight people that were all blind trying to stay together while there's looting and craziness going on, that group is going to splinter, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I like that and the ending was I think the ending was good some people I think probably would shit all over the ending but I genuinely liked the ending so that is why it's my number 5 mainly because looking at my list uh, there's a number 5 next to the word blindness so there you go alright so Kevin do you want to hit up your number 4 
Yeah. Um, this is definitely a more straightforward one. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 remake, directed by Zack Snyder. And uh, surprisingly to me, when I saw the credits, written by James Gunn. Uh, I, I saw this on Hulu. Um, I love the cast. I, I only saw this movie a couple times. I remember when it came out, I was kind of... I liked it. It's definitely entertaining, but I enjoyed it most thoroughly this time around. It has got a great, great uh, blend of horror and action. And I haven't seen the original Dawn of the Dead, and I wouldn't say that this is better than the original Dawn of the Dead or Night, or Night of the Living Dead, but... Uh, I just figured I'd watch it. It was on Hulu. And the running zombies thing, I know, like, kind of, like, weirded me out the first time I saw it because it was just so, like, against everything I saw. I don't think I saw 28 Days Later, which kind of was the first time you saw zombie-like. I know it was, like, a outbreak movie, but zombie-like kind of people running but it really fits with the whole beginning with Sarah Polly. She she gets out of work. It's very slow. Goes goes home, and then there's a child zombie who eats her eats the dad, and then she's running out of the house, and the thing's running after him, and it just veers off into some random yard and eats some woman. I don't know. So it was very violent. Uh, also, Ving Rhames is in it, Mackay Pfeiffer, uh, Matt Frewer. So, and also, and I said Sarah Polly, but I love Sarah Polly, and that was kind of why I watched this movie. And also, a small uh, Tom Savini cameo. And oh, sex machine. We, yes, yes, very. The and um and and the practical or the the practical effects. The makeup team, all of that was so good, and I don't think I appreciated that stuff as much as I do now because it's all. I mean, there are some movies with like the great practical effects, but they're very few and far between. Uh, some of the highlights of the movie was the security guards, the mall cops have guns. Um, I guess I didn't really set up the story. I feel like I feel that everyone should be should know Dawn of the Dead, but it's zombie apocalypse following the events of Night of the Living Dead, but indirectly with a new group of people, and they go to a mall where they try to survive, and the group starts from, like, eight people, and it's got the petty criminal, the cop, a pregnant wife, uh, and a random white guy who worked in electronics. And the and I think maybe like the climax of the film or one of the the highlights of the film is the the zombie baby and the souped up mall vans or buses the souped up mall buses with all the barbed wire on top and the holes with the chainsaws it's just I don't know it's just so great and I I really enjoyed this one. Well, I can't speak to either of your number fives, but I did see this one, so I can speak to that. Um, 
I was in Iraq when it came out, and I remember watching this on a bootleg DVD that we bought off of one of the little kids who would sell them for a dollar. And, you know, so my initial, like, impression, besides being, you know, already a Zack Snyder film with, you know, his typical uh, grain and, like, lens flare, was heightened even more by the fact that it was a bootleg version that I was watching. So you had, you know, the camera flare and whatnot from uh, the, the guy who made it. But um, again, like you, like, I really like Sarah Polly. You know, I remember seeing her in Baron Moonkhausen back when I was a kid, you know, and thinking she was good. And then everything I've seen her in, she's been good. She doesn't do a lot, but what she, when she, she hasn't done anything in like since 2010, right? Like, uh, that's yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think she's one of those people who just did what she did when she wanted to, and when she was done, she was done with being famous, you know? I mean, she was great in Go. Uh, yeah, Go, I mean, Splice, this, you know, uh, again, too, like, uh, I really like Jake Weber as kind of like the notional, like, male lead in this, and I think he gets overlooked a lot, uh, cast into like a, um supporting actor, character actor kind of role. But yeah, like for sure, the zombie baby fucked up. The um the van was awesome. And then one of the other things that I really liked about this, yeah. Again, I'm not going to get into a debate over which was better, the original or this. I like them both. I mean, this is definitely more action oriented for uh somebody who's looking for a little bit more of that in their horror. But the the closing credits, the way they film them with the, uh, you know, it seems like it's going to be a happy ending, and then as you're watching the end credits, you realize that this is like a very nihilistic fucking movie, not quite to the level of uh, the mist, but you know, close. Yeah, and uh, also the Richard Cheese. Uh, down with the sickness mall montage scene. Damn it, Kevin. Sorry. You just took my lead off. <laughs> that was going to be the thing I was going with, dick cheese. <sighs> oh, go, go for it. Go on. You go. You, you get it. No. Richard Cheese is, is a great man, and I highly recommend looking him up on YouTube, because this isn't his only song. Just, just throwing that out there, he does a lot of great covers. Uh... And I know this because after watching the movie, I had to look it up on YouTube and found out he he actually has some talent. Richard Cheese uh, has some talent. So, uh, it's weird that that stands out, um, like, despite the movie being, I don't know if I want to use the word great, but incredibly entertaining at the very least, right? And, and although Chris doesn't want to debate it, I'm going to just flat out say, like, this was way more fun than the original Dawn of the Dead. Is it a better movie? I don't really care. Is it more fun? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, no, fun. no. I mean, I would definitely agree that it's more fun. I mean, but uh, but quality is, you know, not something that I want to, you know, get into subjective. the debate on. Yeah, exactly. Plus the blood. I mean, even Savini has said that, like, he wishes they could go back and redo the blood of the original Dawn of the Dead because it just looks so hokey by today's standards. But with that being said, I mean, on top of like everything that's been touched on, it does have one of the all-time greatest uh, openings, which I think 
we did a podcast on long time ago, Chris. Yeah, the uh, it was one of the ones we hit for the best openings. Stop time. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember where it hit, but it was in there. And like, I mean, yes, we Sarah Polly, but I mean, v- fucking Ving Rhames, and you know, before anybody knew who the hell Ty Burrell was, I mean, from Modern Family, he was in this fucking movie. And anytime I get uh, Matt Frewer, who you know. I love as the trash can man from the original The Stand. Uh, I, I'm super excited, of course. Uh, and the other really positive thing I have to say is that this version of Dawn of the Dead inspired a South Park episode that's absolutely hilarious, uh, and I highly recommend it. I don't know, it's like around season. 10 to 12-ish, someplace in there. And they even do... Uh, they do the whole bus, and they lure all the homeless to California while doing a uh, parody of Tupac's uh, California Lovin'. So, uh, California, nice to the homeless. Yeah. So, I, I, I owe a lot to this movie. Way more than the original. I, I owe way more to this movie. I don't care. Just throwing that out there. It works for me. All right. Um, I guess to to go on to my number four, then uh, it was one of the first ones that popped into my head when you originally mentioned this, and I remember I like the idea a lot more than the execution. But um, you know, looking back on it, looking especially looking at the cast, I'm like fucking amazed by everybody that they managed to get into this, but my number four is going to be identity from, uh, 2003 directed by James Mangold, you know, shit back before he was a fucking relatively common name. But I mean, listen to this cast, John Cusack, Amanda P, Alfred Molina, John C. McGinley, Jake Busey, Rebecca De Mornay, uh, Ray Liotta, Clea Duvall, Pruitt Taylor Vince. I mean, shit, dude. That's that's a fucking stacked cast. I don't know if it go up against Scream Two, but it definitely go up against Scream One. I think. Uh, Isn't it crazy that we just did back to back movies that are horror that had incredible cast? I mean, horror genre typically doesn't get more than what one or two big names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I guess these people go on. aren't huge names, but I mean, John Cusack and Ray Liotta were both pretty huge at the time, and you know, everybody else was. Well, within character actor range or past their prime, in like the case of like Rebecca De Mornay, um, yeah, they still had some clout. But um, the idea is that uh, a bunch of people become stranded at a Nevada motel in the middle of a nasty rainstorm in the middle of the desert, and one by one they start getting killed off, and they have to figure out what's going on. And I was debating about spoiling it, but it's been out for fucking nineteen years, so if you haven't seen it. Sorry. Um, it turns out that the actual people in the trapped in the motel are all uh, separate personalities of a murderer who's being uh, retried on death row. Well, they're deci- trying to decide whether or not his uh, insanity is dangerous still or if he can be released because of it. And... Um, so you've got the psychiatrist kind of talking him through this from the outside. And if I remember correctly, it starts being able to communicate with the people inside, you know, who are all the separate personalities. 
Um, so again, like I liked it better in like ideology than how they actually got it to go, but it was still pretty intriguing the first time. Like I definitely think it's one of those ones that like, once you know what the twist is, um, you watch it maybe like another time and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now I see where, how this all tied together. But you know, after that, it's not like one of those movies where you just want to keep watching it and watching it and watching it. Uh, kind of like, um, the six senses for me, you know, it's cool to watch the first time to take it in, watch it the second time, make all the connections as you're going through. But then after that, yeah. I kind of disagree, man. I just, I, I honestly, I've watched the movie like seven or eight times. I, I, I understand that like, you know, the twi- movies with twists sometimes just wear themselves out like the sixth sense, but you know, you got something like the usual suspects for some, for example, like, I don't know. I can't be the only person that's watched Usual Suspects. I do. No, I watched the Usual Suspects like I don't know, fifty, yeah, sixty times. So yeah, right. I, I, I mean, it depends on the movie. I'm saying, I'm saying this one, in my opinion, is more like The Sixth Sense than the Usual Suspects. Like it's, it's good, but I don't, maybe it was just a product of the time. You know, the, the way it was it filmed. Really was. Do you know what I mean? Like a very early two thousands horror movie kind of style yeah yeah I, I would agree it it was and you know it's cool that Pruitt Taylor Vince was in there because I really didn't know him too well until I saw him in Walking Dead and tonight they're airing the finale of the show so the man who played Otis was in Identity and also John Hawks I when I watched Winter's Bone I was like I know who this dude is but I couldn't figure out like it took me a while to piece it together that I knew him from identity, but Winter's Bone was an amazing movie and he's a big reason why. And he's a small name compared to like ten other people in the damn cast. I really liked him in Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah, he's all over the place. Um was a uh the Miranda July movie, Me You and Everyone I Know, that's pretty good too. He seems to be somebody who picks pretty, pretty good dramas. You know, looking at his filmography, like you said, Winter's Bone, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebon County, nominated uh, for an Oscar for Winter's Bone. Also, by the way, yeah, well deserved. Actually, that's probably the last time I liked Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I like her. I like her in a bunch of stuff, but she's definitely one of those people who blew up too fast and went everywhere, and then just kind of, you know, she's really not that yeah. bad. I just wanted to be to the generic from, insult from her oh, no, breakout I got role. You, I got you. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Yeah. I do wish we had Fat Ray Liotta in this. He, he was he wasn't quite Fat Ray Liotta yet. No, this was the transitional Ray Liotta period. Is there anything that Alfred Molina ever half-asses? Because I feel that dude does awesome things every time he's on screen. That would be one that I would have to go up and look up, because I would agree, like, even in not necessarily, like, the best kind of stuff, 
Um, even then, he's giving in good performances. Like, I, I think back to, um, fuck, what was it, Species? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah? He he was awesome and not without my daughter. He was the, the dad? I don't remember him. No, dad is... Was he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, it was him and Sally Field. Yeah. Oh, who the hell was he in Magnolia? Magnolia. Well, in a minute. That's one of those on my list that I never, ever, ever watched and always meant to. Dude, I will say this: like when you watch that, it will give you a completely new respect for Tom Cruise. Oh, I don't want that. I I have The Last Samurai. I like saying that that's the only good acting I've ever seen Tom Cruise do, even though I do like Interview with the Vampire. I just like sticking to Last Samurai. Okay. You do that, Ken. You do you. I want to be a judgmental bitch, okay? Yeah, no problem. Okay, thanks. Uh, I don't want to go into it too much, but again, to like the ending... For, for Identity was one of those ones that I think it's kind of like the cheap ending for horror movies when they can't think of something better to do. But didn't it work? In, like, All right, so that was something that I wanted to ask was I, I see this as I, I just read a list within the past week and they're like, this was like one of the top ten worst endings in horror and I'm sitting there like, no, this actually... This was one of the few times where the cheap ending worked really, really well. I I thought I don't know. Am I alone in thinking that it worked really well? Like I uh, have to rewatch. Cheap? I haven't seen. It. I actually didn't pick this movie because it was all one person, and I was like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not gonna do that. But uh, I mean, it, it basically the ending. Just to resummarize it up is. Um, they think, uh, shit, who was it? Ray Liotta is the killer. And so, um, John Cusack ends up sacrificing himself to help Amanda Pete kill the Ray Liotta. Um, uh, personality. And then they realize that it was the little kid who was still alive and he kills her in like a separate, different, uh, mind state in a after they've released Pruitt Taylor events, so you know they think that the guy's good to go to be released, and it turns out nope, he's you know the serial killer is the only personality that survived. So uh, it seemed to me like a little too much, like kind of like the ending to like Primal Fear kind of deal. I I get it. It's also kind of uh, in the same vein as Session Nine. Well, at least, you know, I I think a part of it depends on the, um, the, the content, you know, like session nine, I would be hard pressed to to say like going into that, never having seen it before, not knowing what it's about, that you'd be able to guess the ending. Whereas a lot of this just seemed, I don't want to say cliche, but like tropey. You know, to to go back to just to that kind of the period of time when it was being filmed. Yeah, I, I mean, it was a magical time for horror, though. They were trying, like, they were trying new things at the very least. I mean, Grant, this, 
Oh, even this. I mean, how many other movies really exist where just a bunch of characters are fragments of a person's mind? I'm sure they exist. I mean, you've got a beautiful mind, but yeah, like not very many, you know, and not in horror. I mean, so yeah, I I mean, there's a reason why it's on my list. It's just, there's a reason also why it's not in my top three. So it's because of John Cusack. I get it. And I really like John Cusack. This is part of like when the John Cusack revival. Yeah. I mean, yeah. From like gross point blank up to maybe like a couple years after this. Uh, I kind of feel like after 1408 was when it kind of started going downhill. Sure. I don't like 1408. Yeah, I mean, like, 1408 was they took a 14-page story and, like, dragged, dragged, dragged it out. But I, I still liked it. And it, I liked it, but, I mean, what they filled it with wasn't necessarily yeah. entertaining enough, like you said, mm-hmm. to make, like, an hour and 40-minute movie. And... and- Oh, I just want right, to say okay. identity. What I do remember oh, is go ahead, go ahead, okay. uh, seeing the previews to it and being like, this actually looks awesome. And then I remember seeing it and being like, this is pretty awesome. And then the ending, I was like, yeah, I guess it was okay. Yeah, I mean, that's the same kind of like seeing the, the trailer for it. I was like, wow, this looks really good. It's got a good cast, you know, intriguing. And then again, you know, like the further you went in the movie, you're like, all right. Alright, 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 uh, okay, yeah. I think that was my exact, uh, reactions as I was watching it, so. Alright, Kent, what you got? What's coming at us next? Well, I will say that definitely Identity was not next to the number four on my list. Definitely not. Oh, I'm sorry, was it? No. No, seriously, was it? <laughs> yeah, God, it we've, really was. we've been doing this too long. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, that's all right. Um, that's why I have a list of 12, you know, to to cover all bases here. So I watched a movie probably within the past two months uh, on the uh, recommendation of a British fellow that I sometimes game with. He recommended... Demons by Dario Argento, a movie I had heard of but never seen, and and quite frankly, if nobody had urged me to see it, I probably never would have. I am really happy that I did, though. Um, I this is as close to a cube movie slash slasher, I guess, but um, I don't know. It's just a wacky good time. It's it's. You know, got your colorful Argento stuff going on. Uh, I'm pretty sure the one dude's a pimp. Uh, you got some cool zombie eyes. You got some cool horror, quite frankly. Uh, basically, most of it takes place inside of a theater where, you know, shit kind of... Shit that's on the screen kind of almost comes to life in its own way. Like... I don't really know how to explain it. Has anybody, either of you guys seen Demons? Like, is a question. I think we talked about it briefly right after you watched it, but other uh, yeah, other no, than I that, either. I have not I've, seen it. I've still. seen one Dario Argento Kevin? movie, and that is Inferno. Uh, 
Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah he's Did he whole, do Suspiria? Or is that the, another dude? Whole, well, the bird with the crystal plumage, which started the whole J-Lo, Jalo, however you say that, slasher type with the Black Gloves movies. For a second there, I thought you were talking about Jennifer Lopez. I'm like, damn Dario Argento for starting that. But I, I know what you're talking about now. Um, you know, it's interesting, by the way. I, I need to throw this out there. For a movie like this, I didn't expect a, a soundtrack with songs that I was really familiar with. But uh, the soundtrack is really solid. I'm frantically looking for it. It had, uh, I want to say Billy, Billy Idol's White Wedding. And here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh, mm, White Wedding, Billy Idol. There was like two other songs, though, that I knew, and nothing's really looking familiar right in a second. Go West was on there. I don't know. Either way, solid soundtrack. I, I really wish I had words to back up everything that I was just saying, but at the moment, I'm not seeing the other songs that I was familiar with. With that being said, still solid. Oh, oh, uh, Save Our Souls by Motley Crue is on there. So, I don't know. I didn't expect Motley Crue. I didn't expect Rick Springfield. You know, <laughs> you don't quite expect these things to go hand in hand with a Dario Argento movie about demons in a movie theater, right? I would, um, I would agree. I would subtitles? not expect Rick Springfield to pop up. <laughs> He's never going to give us. Oh, it was his earlier ones, right? Um, yeah, that's no, like, cause they, I, I think Italian it's just movies, they, do, they don't do the sound they, as you film it. I forget how it's called. So, But he started doing that later on. It, it, it's interesting. It, at first, it detracts a little bit, I, I think. But then as you kind of get going into it, it becomes, uh, you know, you get very well used to it. And sometimes you get a good laugh out of it. Um I don't really want to ruin too much about it. It's free on something. Uh, I don't know. If you have like a streaming device and just do a search for demons, it's on one of those free channels that has ads. Um, Looks like it's on AMC, Plex, and Mubi. Okay. So there you go. I might have watched it on Plex. So I think I saw it, though, on something called, like, Raygun, which I didn't know was a... There's so many weird-ass things out there. But either way, I would love for you guys to actually watch this. And if we, you know, when we come back, like, if you guys have any additional thoughts, rather than me go on and on about a movie that neither of you have seen, I would love to hear, you know, if you guys thought it was worthy of of discussion. I... I I don't want to say it's a good movie. It was a fun movie, and I don't know. I mean, that's that's, that's, that's all you gotta. Movie. I mean, look for. Right. Were you entertained? I was very entertained. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on to our number threes. Uh, Kevin, what you got? I got The Mist by Frank Darabont, directed by Frank Darabont and written. Based on the Stephen King story, Chris, you mentioned The Mist a little bit earlier. Um, so this is actually one of the very few movies where I've read the story first. Like, may, maybe the only one. 
that I've read the story twice of anyways. Uh, I love this movie. It is pretty close to, to the story. With that said, I do not try to hold movies to the source material. I try to not to anyways, because I try to uh, enjoy everything on whatever level it is, you know, like if it's a romantic comedy, I try to enjoy it for what that is. If it is a Stephen King adaptation, uh, I try to enjoy, you know, I always try to watch the movie first because usually it's always worse. But in this case, they're, they're kind of like, it reminds me of uh, the stand, like stand by me and the body story is that they're like apples and oranges and uh, they both have, they're both flavor. Really good cast. Uh, Tom Jane, who I really haven't seen do too much even since this i mean i've seen him be in things but not like leading male like be really like i always think he's great but i don't i haven't seen him he didn't really kind of like elevate to where i thought he would probably in t- back in 2007 when this was made uh, had he already done the punisher by then i think i think so i think the punisher was like 2004 so okay. I think like after this, I thought like he was well, you know. Then he's doing a Frank Darabont movie, which is probably the only Stephen King adaptation one that didn't get nominated for something at the Oscars. Like he'd also done the Dreamcatcher, right? Yes, yes, yeah. He also just throwing this out there. He actually had one of the best roles in like the I think it was two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen, The Predator, because uh, he had Tourette syndrome. Oh really? really good. The yeah, Shane Black he was, one. Uh, uh, I believe so. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the the story here is that uh, there is a freak storm, and this family, the father and son, go to the grocery store and bring their neighbor. Uh, and in that time, uh, there is a mist that's coming off the lake. And it comes towards the grocery store, and as Dale from season one and two of The Walking Dead uh, comes into the grocery store, says there's something in the mist, and everyone sort of starts, like, panicking immediately, and the only person to leave is also Melissa McBride of The Walking Dead, um, in honor of it being its final episode tonight. <laughs> and... Uh, you want to bring in bring up Andrea while we're at it? Yes, Lori Holden. Yes, great. Yeah, and also I mean, uh, in Silent Hill, right? Too choosing that half. Oh, yeah. half of this cast is like went on to be in The Walking Dead. <laughs> well, yeah. that's because Frank Darabont was the showrunner yeah. for the first two seasons, and uh, he probably got paid more than most of them by getting fired. Yes, yes, he did. He made a nice. Nice amount from that. Took him took him some time, but uh, so we don't see what's in the mist for a while. I don't think not until the loading dock scene, which is a little bit. I guess it's not that long. If they're in the grocery store, it is like a two hour movie, but it it goes pretty quickly uh, through the story. And uh, the first thing I think that I remember seeing is the tentacles that come out and then grab the, the kid and immediately it's everyone it, watching this, not to get like, you know, post COVID pre COVID, but like it being in a grocery store, I could not 
help but think about like how people immediately you know tom jane like wants everything to be very cautious you know we're getting the bag boy to open a you know loading dock door and he's caring about everyone and then the the bag kid tells him that he's a pussy for using caution and then like he ends up getting killed uh, it's it, it it seemed a lot more real than it than it would um probably the first time i saw it, or reading the story but Stephen king always does a good good job of uh putting like ordinary people in extraordinary situations uh the cgi was a little bit dated um, but it, it still held up pretty good. Uh, the acting was great. Marsha Gay Harden steals the goddamn show. Uh, every, every line she delivers is just terrific. She, she is terrific, but she definitely stole the movie for me. She's not enough of it as the religious, like everything has to be the wrath of God that's happening. And it splits and divides the, the, you know, people of the store, when she starts, you know, spouting fire and brimstone and saying that these people are going to die, and then they go and they die, uh, and everyone start, you know, starts getting more divided and half, you know, they, the the more that are going with the uh, the religious woman, uh, they start getting paranoid and they they realize they need to leave the store. Uh, have you guys read the story by chance? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Of course not, Chris. Chris is always going to be a yes. Ken's always going to no, be not a always, yes. but, but yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, to put this in perspective, Kevin, this was my number one when we did our best endings in in movies. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I really liked it too. I remember yeah. when I watched it the first time, I was like, "Wow, this is like really, really close." Like. But they cannot end it the way the book did. Like they just couldn't. I just knew that. Like and and so I was always I was like really excited about what they were going to do at the ending because it, it followed for the most part. There was a couple things they changed and some things they kind of like fast forwarded through. Uh, especially with Andre Brower Brower's character, I seem there was like more backstory. But that's kind of how it happens with Stephen King stories. It's all like in someone's head so you can get more backstory than you know exchanging a few lines. yeah and i, I mean uh, i think the movie went in way more on marcia gay harden's character than the short story did but again like you said even though it's in uh not as short as like 1408 it's yeah. not you know a novel by any means but yeah oh man this i love this movie and like Stephen King even told Frank Darabont, you know, it's like you did a better ending than I ever did for for this movie. So good job. Yeah, it seems like Frank Darabont is uh, understands like how to translate Stephen King's work, and uh, yeah, and I love and I love the ending to the story, but it's just not. I mean, if you want the ending to the story, you can like end it at like a, an hour and fifty minutes in. And if you hate it, it, it goes from like bleak to super, super dark. And there, even after the first reveal, I think at the end, and I have to give too much away, but there is kind of like a second reveal that kind of even makes it darker. And, uh, and out of most of these movies, I've watched like 10, I was just going through 
a, a list of them, the, the ones that Kent came up with and just like random lists off the internet. This is one of the few, except from also Dawn of the Dead, that had no rape or rape vibes to it that I remember. That's that's good because <laughs> for, cause for some Go reason, on. you know, a lot of times we get into like apocalyptic shit. Like, yeah, rape just jumps and rears its ugly head everywhere. Oh yeah, it really does. Um, I just I, I want to throw out a few things. First and foremost, ever since I've been married, I have threatened buying my wife a can of peas every year for Christmas so I could throw it at her head. When she's annoying me, thanks to the mist. So, I thank you, the mist. Secondly, I would like to say Frank Darabont is probably the anti-Mick Garris when it comes to interpreting Stephen King, you know, stuff. Mick Garris, he he tries, but it, you know, it's, eh. It, yeah. Um, there's a lot, like, there's some cool connections here, like Francis, uh, Sternhagen, she was in Misery, but she was also in Stephen King's The Golden Years, which was a failed... I don't know what the hell they were trying to do. I think it was supposed to be a TV series, but then they made it to like a miniseries, and either way, it kind of sucked. But she was in it. She was good in it. She's quite fun, actually. So, uh, And she was also in Tales from the Crypt, an episode with Tom Hanks. And to go connect this to Tales from the Crypt... William Sadler is in this movie, and he was in the very first episode of Tales from the Crypt, and in the first film, the Demon Knight film. And so. to connect that to us, when Kevin ran our LARP of Demon Knight that we played, he had me play the William Sadler character, and my brother ended up shooting me with his own BB gun up in my bedroom. <laughs> so. I feel you had it coming. I, uh, I, really, <laughs> I really don't. No. But but I do I do remember that I was the demon knight and my brother was the demon, so I mean that just seems apropos. <laughs> so like alright, in, in the movie, um do you remember Toby Jones playing Ollie Weeks? He has the gun and he's standing there trying to look like a badass, like standing po- pointing the gun. And you know, if you look at Toby Jones, he just is the polar opposite of what a badass is. That used to be my desktop on my computer for like three years. That's awesome. It in Ollie Weeks I trust. So uh yeah. That this film has a lot of great, great, great memories for me. Yeah, I I I really I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the film, but like the ending just fucking floored me the first time I saw it. I was like this this is so nihilistic, but it's also just one of the best stylistic choices I've ever seen somebody do to improve on, you know, an original, you know, it's for me, it's right up there with like the disturbed sound of silence, you know, remake or shit. I don't know. So in this movie, there is a character called private Jessup. And for video game fans, uh, the few of you that listen, there's also a private Jessup in borderlands. I think it was Borderlands 2. Pretty sure it was Borderlands 2. And I'm so. pretty sure he gets killed too. He does. And I'm pretty sure that all this is just a nod to Nicholson's character and a few good men. Oh. That's my guess. I, 
could be wrong. Yeah, probably because I'm trying to think back. I don't think the the soldier was named in um, the short story, but it's been a while since I've read it, and I don't know where it is on my bookshelf. So. No, there was just two of them. So the third one was created to kind of like give more of the backstory to the like Arrowhead project. So I don't yeah. think that his name or like the character or were the the he get the one who gets sacrificed, right? Yeah. 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 Also I saw this on Netflix, so if anyone wants to rewatch it. It's yeah. still on Netflix? Wow, they still have good movies on Netflix that aren't Netflix originals. Uh, I mean, Netflix has a lot of Stephen King stuff on there. Between oh. between this, you know, a lot of like the Mike Flanagan stuff. And what what's got me excited is he said that his dream thing after um, you know finishing all of the House of Usher and stuff would be to do the Dark Tower, you know, to actually do the Dark Tower, not just you know half-ass it as a movie. So that would get me excited. Fair enough. You know, I, since I'm probably just going to forget to mention this, uh, since this is a Cube-like podcast, two of the characters from Cube, um, the gentleman, uh, it was David Hewlett, who played Worth, and Julian Richings, who played Alderson, are both in the same episode of Guillermo del Toro's uh, Cabinet of Curiosities, the second episode called Graveyard Rats. There you go. <laughs> Who was Julian in that? I mean, I watched it. I don't remember seeing him. Uh, since I have... He was Dooley. He was the 13th credited person, so he is super important to the plot, clearly. Obviously. Yes. It's like when they, they put DJ Qualls in episode 6, and I'm waiting to see him and waiting to see him, and finally I'm like... He had to have been the fucking rat. I, I've only watched one episode of of that show, and I know we're segueing, but I really I think I picked the worst episode to watch of, of that series. So I got to get this no, nasty taste out of my mouth. You, you did not pick the worst episode to watch of that series. But, Which one is is the worst one? Would you say? Uh, for me, I would probably have to say episode seven was. I mean, I could definitely see a lot of people liking it. It's it's the, um, the Cosmatos, Panos, the guy who did Mandy, and then what's the it called? Black um, Rainbow, whatever. But it's under the black. Yeah, Rainbow. it's it's very stylistically similar to them the way it's filmed, but it's just kind of aimless for like forty five minutes, and then a whole bunch of shit happens in like five minutes, and it's over. So it's worse. Than the last one with Andy Lincoln and S.E. Davis? See, to me, that wasn't even like a scary. That, there was nothing scary about that to me. That was like, right. I, it was I like just didn't feel it belonged. Two, two really strong, dramatic roles in like the bare, the bare pasting of like a ghost story. Right. It, it, I don't know. It didn't fit what I expected from that show. It, that, not, it only did not fit what I expected from. from you know, Andrew Lincoln and Essie Davis, but also Essie Davis combined with Jennifer Kent directing the episode really didn't lead where I was going to expect it to. I mean, like, like I looked at my wife when that one was over. I was like, that was it. I was expecting more. I was like, 
She's like, yeah, it wasn't scary. I was like, no, it was it was two really good performances. And she's like, yeah, I fucking agree. But it was it felt more like scenes from a marriage than it did, you know, like the haunting. Right. One last note. This year on Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, they one of the three episodes was a parody of the Baba Duke. They called it the Puka Duke, and it was fantastic. <laughs> to the Puka Duke. That's all I got. All right, we got anything more to say about the mist? Yeah. It's mystical. All right, I guess then I will shoot into my number three, which is the reason why I started it late, because I was finishing watching it, and I didn't realize how long the ad breaks were on Tubi. But um, it's a movie from 2013 called Open Grave, uh, directed by Gonzalo Lopez Galeo. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce it. Um starred like Charlotte Copley, Thomas Kretschmann, um, like a couple other people I recognize, like Joseph Morgan was Klaus in the originals, which I watched like none of. Uh, and Aaron Richards was the crazy girlfriend on Gotham that I fucking forgot what her hell her name was. But um, basically like Charlotte Copley wakes up in this open grave in a pit full of dead bodies uh, with no memory, no identification or anything, uh, finds a gun and some keys and stumbles his way to this house nearby where there's a bunch of other people with no memory. Uh, They have identification on them though, so at least they know what their names are. And uh, it's just kind of trying to pierce together what's going on. And basically it's like, if I was going to like pitch it kind of like the hangover meets like a zombie pandemic kind of movie only minus any of the fucking humor whatsoever. Uh, but you know, trying to piece together, you know, what the hell was going on why they're there. There's like notes written like, uh, the 18th and you know, they look at like their, their watches and it's like the 17th. So, uh, just trying to figure out what was going on, but it was, uh, just a bunch of really cool performances. And then like the, the overall premise was pretty good as well. Um, that kind of, did you ever see nightmares and dreamscapes? The, uh, the TV series, yeah, the, the, the mini series that they did. I own it. Okay. So I would also kind of mix like the end of the whole mess in there with this. Not not necessarily like the uh, the Alzheimer's thing, but you know that kind of you you take all those premises. You know, people wake up and they don't remember what was going on or what was happening. You've got some kind of outbreak that they don't even realize. It takes them like a day or two to realize that something was going on in the first place, and then you throw that kind of like into the whole mess in there. And that's what it kind of reminded me of. If you amalgamated that all together. And I remember seeing the trailers for when it came out back in the day. And I was like, oh, this looks pretty good. And I like Charlotte Copley from District 9. And then, for whatever reason, I just never watched it up until, you know, tonight. Nine years after it was released. Happens. Yep. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. I've never seen it. Never even heard of it until right now. So... (laughs) 
Yay. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is one I think it's worth watching. Like I wouldn't buy it or pay You're to watch it, it on TV, but it was, it was definitely, yeah, definitely a good, you know, under two hours. Um, not really super gory, but you know, like some of the special effects they did looked all practical, you know, um, and there are, you know, there were definitely a couple of creepy scenes in there, and it, they did a really good job with building the tension, you know, like keeping what was actually going on hidden, so you, like not knowing who you could trust, kind of idea. Could it have benefited from the hor- the humor sense. that you said it didn't have, or is that a good thing? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think this. I think this is definitely one that needed to take itself seriously. Uh, especially when, when you finally get to the end, when, you know, enough, like they start to regain memories as they go. And when enough of the memories come back and you realize what's going on, like, I think they threw, they wanted to throw like a twist or two in there. And, uh, you know, like for, for me, at least like two of what, possibly could have been twists were things I'd already figured out. So it wasn't like, uh, it didn't hit me as much as maybe like the typical, uh, movie watcher who doesn't pay attention to to what they're watching. But I mean, there was some interesting, like they're getting chased by whatever the infected zombies or whatever you want to call. And they have to fucking, uh, push start like a Volkswagen beetle. So, like, the guy's trying to push it as the, the guys are chasing him with axes. I mean, that was a pretty cool scene. Quick question. I, I, as I'm looking at this on IMDb, uh, I always like to see the more like this. And it shows 13 Sins. I don't know if you've seen 13 Sins, but if you have, is there any remote, like, it seems like they're very two very different films. Was that the one where they were, like, paying the guy to... Go and do like crazy shit. Do, do thirteen different things. Pearlman's in it, and um, uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Yeah, it's actually I think it's a good movie, but I it just doesn't sound uh, no, like anything. no. Looking at like more like this, I would say probably the closest one at the end when you figure out what's going on is probably the Crazies. The remake or oh, the I just watched that recently. They're both kind of the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess either, but the remake was the, the remake was the one that was on the list. All right. Uh, I mean, since you guys haven't seen it, I don't want to talk it to death. Um, Kent, what you got? Uh, I don't know. I'm debating between two, but. Just because earlier this morning I happened to see that today would have been Richard Dawson's 90th birthday, I'm going to go Running Man, which may or may not fit the criteria, but what do I care? Uh, I, Richard you know, Dawson. I think it does. It's definitely not not like a unscary movie. I mean, part of it is a little cheesy just because of when it was made. But if you overlook that, like the whole premise is fucking, you know, I guess it's actually probably closer to existing now than it was when it was made too. But 
I, I mean, without this movie, Slashers doesn't exist. And I was just talking to Kevin about Slashers, a movie that I'm probably the only person that's ever gotten to see the damn movie, but whatever. Um, I mean, I feel that at least 80% of our listening audience minimum knows what the hell the running man is like i don't really know what else i can add of substance other than this was like a mainstay on monster vision uh like friday or saturday nights on tnt uh you know always for a good time you had jesse ventura uh you know yafit kato appears in so many movies that i like and yet i never can remember his name until i look it up always always enjoyable dude um, I, I don't like even Maria Con Conchita. Conchita, yeah, con, yeah, or Maria Conchita, Conchita. Alonso. Yeah, yeah, I mean she was awesome. Uh, dude, this dude, it had freaking Jim Brown, you know, the football player. Yeah, uh, Mick Fleetwood and Dweezil Zappa as fucking um, <laughs> you know, musicians as fucking the uh, the underground. Yes, and. Professor Toru Tanaka. I mean, there's just so many cool things going on in, in this, and uh, this has been a, a birthday tradition for my wife uh, for her birthday. Don't know. I really don't remember the exact way it became a tradition, other than it was her birthday. You know, it's in February, so like, you know, it was a shitty day out. We weren't going to go out. Let's watch a movie. And only thing I got from her was, I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, all right, cool, let's watch Running Man. So that became a birthday tradition. Um, it's a really solid tradition, quite frankly. I, I, don't, I don't see any flaws with it whatsoever. Kurt Fuller is also in it, by the way. Which, uh, that's probably not a household name, but he was in No Holds Barred. He should be. I mean, the amount of stuff that he has been in is insane. He's definitely a character actor, but, um, yeah, I know. I know. Everybody knows who he is. They don't know the name. Perhaps I'm thinking, I know I've talked up the show evil to you a couple times. Uh, when we've been talking about TV shows, he's in that as one of the supporting actors and he's really good in it. Yeah. I mean, the show's really good, but he's really good in it too. But yeah, dude, the fucking running man, man. It's a classic without being a great movie. It's just, I guess I'm having a theme here where I'm saying it's an entertaining as hell movie. And I I guess to make for conversation here, my question is, if they remade it, which, I mean, it feels inevitable, right? Can they, can they improve upon it? Well, to answer yeah. your question... They are attempting to remake it, but they're attempting to remake it way more similar to the actual short story than to what this was. And that's how you can make it better. So they're taking the fun out? Yeah. They what are. was that? I said that's how you can make it better, though. Yeah, I mean, take away all of, like, the Slayers. I mean, The Running Man was basically, they put a, a bomb in your head and sent you loose to try to escape and then uh, random people could try to kill you as you were running, you know, um, the entire city was after you. Yeah. It's like a game. Exactly. That was cool. Oh, but I think they've kind of, besides the bomb thing, or maybe they have, I don't know. I think they have like way more stuff that's so similar to the running man. 
the original story than when I was yeah, a I kid. Would, this this is a childhood. The way favorite. they went with it was was like more unique than a lot of stuff we've seen now. Especially like I forgot there was a show, one of the first ones on Peacock, uh, where I think they had what Liam Hemsworth. And, you know, each episode was only like 10 minutes or so, but it was, it was basically that premise, you know, like we'll pay you money and anybody can try to kill you, you know, so uh, shit like that was going on. So, I mean, if they tried to remake it in the vein of Arnold's version and they just took itself a little more seriously, you know, maybe not having Dynamo being like, Dynamo, or, uh, you know, Arnold giving the one-liners every, all the time. Wouldn't that make it worse, though? Like, isn't that part of, like... Oh, you can either you can either go way into the cheese, or you can make it... See, like, imagine, like, a John Wick-style take on this. Not necessarily... Yeah. You know, but, just, just, okay. you know, that level of seriousness compared to... I, In all fairness, I guess if you're going to do a remake, do it more serious, because... I, for me, I, I don't want a remake to be the exact same damn film. So, if you can do a serious take on this, by all means. But if they do a serious take, they're not going to inspire a video game half as good as Smash TV. That is very true. I mean, I don't know. Imagine, like, did you ever see that when they were trying to get that Mortal Kombat, like, realistic version off the ground? And they did that, um, like, little internet short with, like... Uh, Michael J. White playing Blake. I don't remember that. And then it ended up going into, uh, like, they couldn't get the movie greenlit, but they did, like, a web series that was pretty... Like, I could imagine, like, imagine having, like, Mortal Kombat characters, you know, maybe skip out the magic, but, like, as the the Slayers, you know, that kind of fucking seriousness. I mean, I could see that working. Yeah, I mean, once again, as a fan of slashers... A movie nobody's ever going to see, but like they they took the Running Man and just had a shitload of fun. They they leaned so basically as you said, you could either lean into the cheese or the seriousness. They leaned into the cheese, and it was a glorious experience for you know someone like myself. So I don't know. It's it's a. I'm surprised actually that it has a six point six on IMDb because. I feel there's so many pretentious people that vote on IMDb. I, I would actually expect the number to be lower. Uh, I usually only vote when I see something that I really hate. You know, to be fair, I really very often, rarely go on when I see something that I like. So, sorry. Chris, you're a hater. I am. Why, why you got to be I am. You know, well, I know I take that back. The last thing I put up was on uh, Midnight Mass. And I believe my post was titled, I forgot what the chick's name was in the show, but it was like, whatever her her character's name was, is such a cunt. <laughs> this show is awesome. She did a really good job making me hate her. <laughs> I gave it 10 out of 10. So, uh, But yeah, I think the last thing I wrote before that was on fucking uh, the, the Last Jedi. So that should give you a... Yeah. I've never once heard you complain about The Last Jedi in this podcast. Never. I think you're being facetious now. I think I think <laughs> that movie may get mentioned more in this podcast, a horror podcast, than any other horror movie, aside from possibly like Scream. Because it was horrific for me. <laughs> 
It was your horrific. It was your horror story. I I, I understand. <laughs> All right. All right. Anybody else want to throw anything on for Running Man before we uh, move on to Kevin's number two? Oh, uh, so have you guys seen Series Seven? Series Seven. The movie Series. I don't seven. think so. Yeah, it came out like two thousand one, and it's pretty much like the story to the Running Man, but made like a reality TV show where it's got like seven contestants, and it's like supposed to be like you know like the fourth or fifth season where they have like reoccurring heroes where they all seven contestants they get like their names drawn by their social security numbers, and they become a contestant on this TV show and they have to kill each other. And like the survivor goes on to the next series and everyone, you know, and then has to fight yet again. There's like a pregnant woman. It's, it's pretty good. There's some people you'd recognize. Here's a question. Does squid games exist? If running man doesn't exist. Hmm. Oh, I always think running man though. When those things come out. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. Kent. I don't know. I mean, maybe not. Ooh, I'm looking up the Series 7, and I see Merritt Weaver. I like her. I don't even know what I know her from, but I know her... N- oh, she was in Signs, duh. And Birdman. Okay. Nurse Jackie. I feel... There's something else I know her from, and I'm just going to have to keep looking, but... Walk oh, yeah, she was in uh, Walk of Dead, duh. All, all sorts of stuff, yeah. Duh. Okay. Is Series 7 good, Kevin? worthwhile or no yeah i liked it it's worth it's worth checking out i wouldn't like go out of my way i think it is a little more harder to find but if you do come across it on like a streamer i would i would if you like the running man if running man's on your list then definitely yeah looking at amazon or looking at imdb the only thing they've listed for is search on amazon for a copy of the blu-ray or a dvd yeah did you oh they have it on blu-ray did you check justwatch.com I did not know. I'm on it. You know, we live in a glorious time where basically, like, I would say, like, a third of whatever you can think to look up, you can find streaming for free, like, with ads now. Kind of solid, right? That is true, yes. Yeah, Tubi's got got the goods. Uh, Looking up Series 7. Cult Horror. All right, and we can sh- not stream it. Damn it! Yeah, it's in that weird, weird period. It was, I think it was released on VHS originally, also, like when it came out. Mm. Oh well. All right. All right, Kevin, what you got for your number two? Uh, Thirty days a night. Yep, Which, that's a good one. Yeah, um, I actually tried to like make another movie work, and uh, and it didn't. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, grabbed Thirty Days a Night off the out of my DVD collection. I love this movie. It's almost like I feel like sometimes it's like a guilty pleasure, like or that I'm almost embarrassed that to mention that like I love it as much as I do, and maybe because of Josh Hartnett, who is actually really good in this, but. I don't, I don't know why, but, and also it's the movie that made me like a number one Ben Foster fan. Cause I'd like pretty much will watch anything that guy's in. And he's, he plays the, uh, if you don't know the 
outsider character that comes in to uh, Barrow, Alaska and starts like smashing all the cell phones and killing all the dogs. Or I assume that's him. And oh, No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I assume that he killed the dogs, I'm saying, because I think, but uh, oh, yeah, and starts breaking down the communication of this town that's about to have 30 days a night, which is a period during the winter with a month long polar night, I think that I describe it. Um, is Danny Houston yeah. the evil guy? Yes. Yeah, he's the head vampire yes. in that one, yeah. <sighs> Marlo. I, I, I always give... I, I always say I dislike this movie because I've watched it twice and don't remember liking it, but I think, in all fairness, I may watch this again one more time just to see. if I just don't like Josh Hartnett. That's all. You know, I, I can I can get that, but it is it's pretty good. He plays the sheriff. He kind of does like the the Josh Hartnett thing, or at least at that time, he doesn't really have like leading male roles. Or I don't really watch his movies, but I don't dislike Josh Hartnett. I guess like completely. It's probably because of this movie, and it has like the vampires that come into this this town for the thirty days a night. They're not like the vampires that you know like interview with a vampire where they like seem like they're humans and they're disguised. They're just like monsters all the time. And only like when some of the people in this town, you know, like are, are like midway turning, they're still very like human. Like, like that was all very unique. I think it does take a couple times to watch it to like, kind of like soak it all in, but I enjoyed it much more this time. Than any others, though I own it and I watch it probably like once every couple of years, and uh, and mostly I think because Ben Foster is excellent in this, him and Danny Houston, and Danny Houston doesn't really speak anything English or real any sort of real language. They like created their own language outside of like no no God. And when the vampires slaughter this town, ta- this town, it it is great, and like the editing is really great too, because it kind of like jumps from like, it just kind of like jumps to it as you're like kind of waiting for all of this to happen. I mean, you see like heads on spikes, and they notice that shit's going bad. You know, they and while they're like like all of these movies trying to dismiss it and the things they hear, and that like it's all gonna work out, and and it. And it doesn't, and uh, they all, and uh, so the thing about this that I was a little unsure if it would completely fit into this was that because they're not really like strangers, but it's kind of like, and it's such a community movie more so than The Mist, which is like you know they're all they all lived in the same town for the most part, but it's they all know the town more so than they know each other, and like. Josh Hartnett as the police officer uh, or the sheriff uh, kind of has knows who most of these people are. Uh, and uh, Mark Boone Jr. Mark Boone Jr. Right. That's nice. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's terrific in this. He's always and, uh, awesome. He's Sons like of Anarchy snow, fan. Man. Snow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's a snowplow driver and like almost anything. He's done a lot of good work. He was in Memento as the, hotel clerk like he's 
even if he's yeah. not like has a great part, he's always and he actually is pretty great in that. But yeah, um, and he's like the snowplow driver, and there's like a re- the refinery worker who was gonna get like banged by the two dudes before they got ripped into the sky. And then some guy, and then the guy with all time Alzheimer's, like that was just a a great like terrible thing, like the last person you want to be stuck in some attic while. Your whole town is being devoured by these monsters. I have to ask a question. So I, I, I'm looking up Melissa George, and everything I'm looking at that I've seen her in, I don't think I liked her in, with one exception being Mulholland Drive. Was she good in anything else? No. I actually saw... Well... So there was I had Apple TV for a while, and there's a show called Mosquito Coast that's like based off of a Harrison Ford movie in the '80s, and it's her and Justin Thoreau, and uh, that she is really good in that. But I look her up every time I see her. I'm like, oh, Melissa George, and I'm like, Thirty Days a Night. That's it. Like, for, and yeah, she uh, did I didn't the know Amityville remake. She like she did Teresa's. Like all of her horror stuff is. Pretty... I liked her in Triangle. Mm. I don't think the Ryan Reynolds remake. Yeah, Is she was in the Ryan. Yes. She was the wife yeah. in that one. Oh, oh. yeah. I didn't, I didn't mind that. Yeah, Triangle wasn't bad. She wasn't bad in the Limey. Uh, How was Dark City? I've heard that was okay. Dark City's fucking awesome, but oh. she was only a, oh, yeah. a real minor character in it. Okay. I saw that at your house too, Chris. Yeah. First time. Do we? We didn't I see that in the theater. I thought we saw that in the theater. I, I well, I saw it at your house on VHS. Okay. Yeah. For sure, but I didn't go to the theater. But it was around that era. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the whole reason we I remember getting that was because it was done by the guy who did the Crow, you know, Alex Proyas, back before we really knew, you know, like IMDb or whatever. I mean, to to go along with with Thirty Days a Night. Uh, I remember back in like, I was, I think I was, I think I was in Iraq again and, you know, hearing stuff on the internet about this fucking comic that came out that was amazing. So I remember when I, I got back, I, I picked up a copy and it was fucking awesome. Like the, if you've never read the comic, the comic is, is great too. And, um, so when they announced it, I was like, God, I hope they don't fuck it up. <coughs> and they did a fucking great job with this movie. Um, I don't know why Kent doesn't like Josh Hartnett, because I've liked him in almost everything I've fucking seen him in. You know, I haven't, I never went out of my way to ever watch any of like his romantic movies. But I mean, I loved him in The Faculty. I loved him in this. I loved him in Penny Dreadful. Yeah, if, if for nothing else, I think that would have like, um, fixed your opinion of him, Kent, if you had watched that, you know, after watching all the shit that you saw him in that you hated. But, yeah, I mean, uh, and to, to go along with everybody else that you guys have already talked about, I love Manu Bennett in this, too. Uh, the guy who played Crixus in Spartacus. And I would use him in a hell of a lot more movies and shows than he actually gets cast in, but uh, he was Billy in this one. I'll toss this out there. Josh Hartnett was the weakest part of Lucky Number Slevin, and he was Slevin. Well, look who he was up against. Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, Ben Kingsley. I mean... I did like uh, that movie. Tucci. 
I don't know if he was the way. Lucy Liu, as much as, as attractive as she is, I don't know if she ever gives, yeah. like, the best <laughs> performance. But, yeah, I really like that movie, I, too. I, like, I don't oh. remember him in Sin City. Like, I, I'm drawing a blank on Sin City for... The, I don't know why, but I can't picture heart in it right now in Sin City. There was... Did he have there, a... There were, like, opening a, and, Yeah, the opening, opening and closing scene. Yep. Okay. They they tied him together with, the, like, little snippets with him. I will say this. He was awesome in The Faculty, but that whole movie was awesome. I didn't really... Uh, I remember not liking The Virgin Suicides, and I sure shit didn't like Halloween H2O. Okay, yeah, I could see how Halloween yeah. H2O could turn you off to a person. There you go. I mean, aside from uh, with that was the one with LL Cool J, right? Was the, uh, Michelle yeah. Williams? I think was in it too. Yeah. I uh, just found out. I, so, Kevin, you might remember Julie Ernst in Mayfield. Um, Maybe the name sounds familiar. She was, well, she works with cows, and she was. Sh- she found a cow named Kenton, and I was looking through a list of cow names, and I found there was a cow named LL Cool J, and I felt that was topical. So, there you go. I mean, and just to, to go along with what Kevin said, I mean, I remember um, the guy who, who created it, and then the director talking about how um, they wanted to, the vampires, you know, not to be sexy, not to be humanistic, so they, they modeled them after sharks. And I think, like, that one, like, really East European-looking f- dude. Like, I oh, think yeah, he... Yeah. Yeah, he's and the, woman, the main woman, too. <laughs> yeah. Really good job on the, the makeup with this. And the acting for, like, I don't know, probably, like, thankless kind of, like, roles. You know, you don't get any good dialogue, but you get to... they. It was, I don't know, just the way they all walked and stuff. It It seemed like those, like, walking dead zombie classes that people take. Yeah, or like was, the, ex- the extras or whatever. Uh, I think this one hit in our top. We did a vampire movies one, didn't we, Kent? We sure did. Yeah, I think this one hit in our top vampire movies. So, yo, speaking of sharks, uh, Amazon Prime has Stephen Kang's Sharks of the Corn, and uh, <laughs> the first ten minutes is delightful. <laughs> is is there an analog to He Who Walks Behind the Rose? I don't know because I only got ten minutes and I couldn't handle it anymore. But there, there is tits in it, so you, you get that. Um, and you know, we're just you know, you we're talking vampires. I want to highly, highly, highly recommend if you have Amazon Prime or Access, please watch the Vampire Happening. It's a seventies movie. You will thank me. I am all but positive you will thank me for this. Okay. On my list. The Vampire Happening. Yes, it's a comedy horror with, like, I don't want to say way too many tits, but there's a lot of tits. But there's a, it's such a silly, but, like, they're trying to make it horror, but then they can't help themselves with, like, making some dumb jokes along the way, and just kind of works in its own weird way like they have like their own kind of um christopher lee type guy in it as dracula like just i really truly believe if you watch it you'll appreciate it i I really do i'll have to check that one out for sure 
vampire happening, right? Yes. yes. It was like 70, 1971. So I think the only also, other thing... Oh, go ahead. I, I just want to say I don't think Stephen King is a real person. <laughs> you think he's like one of those book machines or whatever? There's like 12 people? <laughs> yes. Uh, for, so, but anyways, for the 30 Days a Night, the one thing out of my... Out of probably all 10 movies I watched... This had like the most like dramatic performances, or like the the story itself had a lot of like drama towards it or in it, compared to like with it being like you know the horror being super dark, where you know someone's getting like an axe to them and they're just showing the reaction shots of people in the other room, to the awesome action scenes where like Mark Boone Jr. with the flares and. Every shit blows up and the vampires are just practically unfazed. I like really was invested in like all of these all of these characters, um, and that's just yeah, they they spend a lot of time developing the characters, which is a uh, uh, another thing that I want to say. Um, shit, what was the last one you just talked about before that? Uh, uh, the mist. The mist. Yeah. yeah, it was another thing that the mist did well. Like, yeah, it didn't just. You didn't immediately go into, okay, we're going to start fucking offing people, but, you know, here, let us take 30 minutes, 40 minutes to uh, to build up and make you care about these people before we fucking murder all of them. Yeah. So, yeah, 30 Days a Night. Good movie. Yes. To, to just tag one, one more story onto that, I remember um, that was the first movie that I took Krista to after she moved down here with me. Like, the very first movie that we watched together was Saw 3, so, I mean, that should determine, you know, the course of our relationship. But uh, I approve. I remember taking her to 30 Days of Night, and then as we were getting out of my car to walk up to our third floor apartment building, I was like, all right, if the vampires jump off the roof, can I get her <laughs> to the apartment before they get us, or is that going to be it? I think it was going to be it. I don't, I don't think I could have run up three stories faster than those guys could. But, uh, yeah. Um, all right. I'm glad to you go made into my number. Yeah, seriously. I was like, you know what? At least, at least I'm living down where there's sun for only 12 hours of the day and just as much dark. Oh shit. Uh, <coughs> my number two, uh, I think we might've talked about this once or twice before Kent, but it's, um, circle from, 2015 on Netflix, right? Is it still on Netflix? Uh, yeah, it looks like it's still on Netflix. Kevin, didn't we just like you and I were just talking about that, yeah, right? You, you were talking about it, and then I noticed that it was on the list that I came up with for the internet. But I, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I forgot what you so. All right. directed it. So uh, it was directed by Aaron Han or Han and Mario Mischioni. Uh, and the written by them as well. Uh, the basic premise is that 50 people waking up in this dark room, they're all standing in a circle and they're on little red circles. Um, there is a, uh, bunch of triangles in the center corresponding to, um, each one of the people. And I believe it was 
it's either a, a minute or two minutes, but, uh, every, every, whatever the period of time is, they have to all come together and decide, uh, which one of them is going to die. Uh, and they basically just get their life zapped out of them and then get sucked out of the room through some like kind of power. Uh, and if they don't, then it automatically kills one at random. So just like interesting premise. Everybody's in just one setting for the entire movie up until the very, very end. Um, and the writing was actually really well done. That's what <coughs> made me like this as much as it did. You know, you hear, did the, did the final scene like help or hurt it for you? Um, I'm kind of neutral. Like it, it didn't, it didn't piss me off. It also wasn't, it wasn't like one of those ones where I was like wowed at the end, you know, like, um, like for an example, if- talking about, uh, identity for one that the final scene hurt it, like talking about one where the final scene helped it would have been, um, the prestige for me. Like, uh, yeah, the prestige. Yeah, absolutely. I just like, I really like the arguments that the people start to put forward about why they should live or why they should die. You know, <coughs> it just felt very realistic and very human to me. You know, like I could see myself saying some of this, the same shit in the, um, in the way. And like, I won't lie. There was, there was a twist towards the end that like, I didn't see coming. And then I almost feel like they had they did the ending that they did almost to tie this to Cube because I feel a lot of people watch Cube and may not have been satisfied with the ending right like because it's very mysterious and they're like no we got to have an ending it don't matter we got to have an ending type thing right well I mean I would say that I think the ending they did almost leaves as many questions as the ending for Cube does I mean. It gives you some answers, but then you're like, oh, shit, you know. You know, like, I don't want to spoil it, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, I... I they, they need an ending, and, like, I can't think of many other realistic endings that would have worked on any level, so whatever. Like, it, it's okay. Uh, yeah, like, it was an okay movie. I, I go back and forth because I've seen it twice, and sometimes I'm like, I kind of groan at some of the the people and whatever, but that's horror in general for me. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I mean, because, you know, the deaths start almost from the very beginning. I mean, there are definitely people who are less fleshed out, but I think the people who make it towards the end, you know, are pretty well written in regards to, you know, motivations and, and their discussions and shit. What I, one thing I will say is that they pique your interest, like, really quick, like, right out the gate, uh, which I think is a sure sign of a good cube-like movie. A cube-like movie should really have you by the balls within two, three minutes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Sure. I, I think I'd like to watch it again, though. It, I mean, it's definitely one that I would like to see again. It's been a couple years since I saw it, so... Circle? Yep, it's just called yeah. Circle, and it's still on yeah, Netflix. it sounds good. I'm sold. And, I mean, the, another thing that I liked about it was that it really didn't overstay its welcome. I mean, it, it clocks in at under an hour and Ooh, a half. yeah. 
I like that. Yeah, it, it, it really it didn't need to go any longer. It had a premise, and that's all you needed. It worked. All right, what do you got for your number two, Kent? Uh, you know, originally I had Night of the Living Dead, but we kind of did Dawn of the Dead, and I mean, we've talked about Night of the Living Dead, you know, quite a bit. So instead, let's go on a trip to a house on a haunted hill. Oh, good call. Because good. The, like the original's great. I, I I strongly encourage anybody that's never seen the original. The original is still really fun, I, I think. But the remake, it, I mean, it, the pacing's better. It looks better. It's a lot more horror. It's a really solid cast. It's arguably the greatest thing Chris Kattan's ever done in his life, uh, acting-wise. Uh, I, I just... I watched it in November because, you know, why not keep watching horror movies in November? And once again, I still thoroughly enjoyed the holy hell out of it. Um, even the ending, it, it's a little nonsensical, but whatever works. And, you know, you got a little uh, Marilyn Manson Sweet Dreams, uh, which worked really well for the scene that it was in. You get, uh, I don't know, like the unexplained house curse that completely just changes the people that are invited to the party. Um, solid cast. I really wish I had pulled up the cast before talking about this, but uh, you know, Jeffrey Rush and Famke Jansen. What, what, I don't need much more than that, but... Uh, hey, throw some Tay Diggs, some Ellie Larder, some... Uh, Ellie Larder, yeah some, uh, yeah! some Bridget Wilson Sampras, you know, Back when she was Jeffrey Combs, yeah, Jeffrey Combs as the fucking uh, evil ghost, fucking uh, uh, what the hell were they called? Uh, the you know the the I mental mean, doctor. Yeah, yeah, I forgot the psych. Yes, whatever. thank you. Uh, you know, and this is like Lisa Loeb's second or third horror movie. Which I mean, most people only know Lisa Loeb for her hit song, her hit single "Stay," but. She's done other horror, which is weird and cool in its own weird way. Be like, that whole opening sequence, like, on the elevator and stuff, uh, for its time, we didn't really have a lot of swerves like that. And uh, it, it just, I don't know, I think it worked on many, many, many good levels. The elevator was, was good. You know, like, I was not expecting it to just be a fucking, you know. Yeah, and even like the roller coaster is like, oh, and, and that like you know you see the the uh, the car or car or whatever just fly off the rails, and you're like, holy shit, what the hell's going on? And then it's just like, oh, it's still all just a gag. Cool. Uh, and I I loved uh I don't know what the hell the little chamber was that they stuck uh price into. Uh, but I. You you know what I'm talking about where he had to wear the goggles and the yeah, yep. things spinning all that shit. All that's really I don't know really good. The scene where um, shit I don't remember who it was was uh, you know looking through the camera and could see see the ghosts, but then the ghosts weren't there type thing. I I don't know. Like I think this is a very underrated horror movie that doesn't get much love. And 
I think it goes to show just how much good horror was happening within five years on either side of of this. Not even five years, because there wasn't shit going on in 1994. But late 90s, early 2000s, there was a lot of cool shit going on in horror. Well, I think part of what hurt this one was A, the way they marketed it, and they didn't market it very much. But the fact that it came out within, what, like two months of The Haunting? So you had the house on Haunted Hill and the haunting come out, you know, right yeah. right next to each other, and the haunting had a huge, huge um, uh, budget marketing. marketing budget. Thank you, uh, which completely they suckered me completely in. overshadowed the house on Haunted Hill. So yeah, I saw the haunting in the theater and regretted it. I did not see house Same on here. Haunted Hill in the theater, and I fucking loved it when I saw it on VHS. I, I felt the same way. I was like, I really regret seeing The Haunting. I wish I'd gone seeing The Haunted, House on Haunted Hill in the theater. Um, so, yeah, just that just goes to show the power of marketing budget right there. Uh, they they does got it, us. Does everyone get a house. gun in the remake? Uh, I don't remember. It's been a long time. I remember liking it, though. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think in... Um, you know they weren't they weren't playing into it like that. It was just survive the night. Cause, Cause Price like had the gun, but he he said it was uh, the gun was full of blanks. I, he's like, if I wanted to really kill you, I would have killed you by now. Or whatever to Famke, who I'd like to see her do more horror. I I really like her in the few horror things I've seen her in. To bring it back to the faculty. The Faculty, and an underrated movie called 100 Feet. Never heard that one. I... Yeah, I was going to say, I was just about to say, like, I don't know if anybody here has actually seen it. I I ended up getting it from Hollywood Video when they were going out of business, uh, and I didn't expect much, but I was like, I like Famke Jansen, and it's a movie where she's under house arrest, and her... Ghost of an abusive husband just tortures the shit out of her, basically in her house, and she can't escape. Sounds great. Her house arrest. It, it's it's really batshit crazy, oh, I, but I like it worked shit. on some level. Like it's not a great movie, but it's very good. Yeah. Wasn't she the uh, fucking bad guy, and or one of them in uh, Hansel and Gretel? The Witch Hunters. Oh, oh like the, yeah. the newer one? The right? one with, uh, with uh, Jeremy yeah. Renner. Where, where Hansel, <laughs> yeah, Hansel was diabetic because he got fed so much candy as a kid. I'm like, shit, that's what happened to me. I hadn't, I, I own it, I, I think, think, but I, I haven't think, seen I that right. one yet. I think that is, that is her. But. She's. And yeah, it's she her. Was in, she was in Hemlock Grove, which was pretty good for what I saw, so. Wasn't that like one of those early? Was it Netflix or who? It was. Hulu, it was right? one of Netflix' first self-completely produced and you know budgeted shows. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know what? She has a decent. Uh, I'm I'm looking through what she's done, and I I'm kind of digging. You know, her being in Rounders, another one of those great uh, experiences for me. She was in Lord of Illusions, which I've never seen, but that's another horror movie. 
She was good in Lord of Illusions, one of probably the best parts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, let's put it like this. I've always been an X-Men fan, but I never thought Jean Grey was hot until she yeah. played her. So. I think that's very, very fair. Yeah. No. Kevin, you got anything to add? I just, I just want to add, I love the line at the end. I'm not even, I'm adopted. <laughs> the ghost lets him go. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I like at the end, they're just like stuck up there. Like, how are we going to get down? Yeah. It's a good question. And then they just end it. And yeah, but I will say, so after watching it, I was like, I think I also have returned to House on Haunted Hill. So I put that on, and I remember thinking, like, this movie sucks. Like, it sucks long donkey dick, right? But I was like, eh, maybe it'll be okay. And I I got, like, 20 minutes, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I own it digitally and on DVD, so, like, I'm the damn fool that owns that movie twice. Not good. I always had to go long stretches of time to sequels like that, like where the first one's good and the second one is like whatever. I like if I wait like a year, I, I can usually make through it. It's sad because they even brought back. Uh, I think they brought back Jeffrey Combs for it, so that you know it gave me that little ounce of of hope, right? Even though it's a direct to to video type sequel so you shouldn't have any hope but sometimes they bring back one uh actor and you're like okay maybe just maybe they can save it no no there was no saving uh just the story it, it just sucked i didn't even get to like any of the scary stuff i just got to the story and i was like oh this person betrayed this person wow what a twist mm. i uh i am watching the trailer right now on imdb and i have to say just the fact that it came out in 2007 and it opens with CGI that looks like it's from like 1993. I mean that. Yeah, oh yeah. That should tell you right there. <laughs> Dude, so many lessons have been learned from Return to House on Haunted Hill, and none of them are good. Uh, all right, all right. So, Kevin, what do we got for your number one? Uh from Dust Till Dawn. Sex Machine! 1996. <laughs> yes. Yes. Directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I saw this one on HBO Max. So this is this was like... I was like obsessed with Quentin Tarantino as a kid. Like he's the one that like changed movies. Like made it obsessive for me, for better or worse. Like I just watch Reservoir Dogs all the time. I went as Quentin Tarantino's uh, character... Um, in this movie, Richie Gecko, uh, and so through that week, I watched this movie like every day. So that that is why it's the number number one. Uh, but yeah, the the story goes: if you haven't seen From Dusk Till Dawn, uh, it's the two Gecko brothers on the run from a prison escape and bank robbery. Is Richie Gecko busted out Seth Gecko? Uh, and in, in Quentin Tarantino fashion, we don't see either of those things. They're already on the run. There's an explosive opening sequence. Um, 
John yeah, I, I just saw that. I was like, oh, shit, I forgot about that. Yeah. He's got the that line. He's like, I should get an Academy Award for acting natural. Oh. And uh, coincidentally, of all the people in the scene, uh, Quentin Tarantino was the only one that had an Oscar at the time. But now George Clooney has one. And also, more importantly, George Clooney won an MTV Award for Best Breakout Performance for this movie. And I remember seeing the MTV Awards. And all he did was say, well, you guys must have missed... Uh, Return of the uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes because he was in the second one of that, and uh, yeah, that, uh, so yeah, like I've seen this movie so many times, and also why this is number one on the list is the the thing that makes it fit into this category of film is the climax of the movie. Because the whole first half of the movie is like a gritty crime on the run, like the getaway, like the Sam Peckinpah getaway with um, type film. And then it switches without really giving, without like giving too many, too much of a hint that it's going to switch. You know, I knew that it was a vampire movie or whatever because I was obsessed with Quentin Tarantino and I, you know, watched the, the trailer but if you didn't know, you 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 wouldn't know, you know, you wouldn't probably suspect that it's going to turn into a full blown horror film or like a survive the night type film. Uh, but the Gecko Brothers, they you know, they acquire these hostages with an RV and they make it over uh, the border to Mexico, and that's really like the suspense for the first half of the movie. Are they you know, and are they going to like kill these? you know, this pastor and his two children as they, uh, make it to Mexico, like, or after Mexico. And they end up going to the titty twister, which is 40 minutes into the movie, but still, I don't think that there was any real hint that it was a horror film until like pretty much 20 more minutes into the movie. They're in the strip bar. That's full of bikers and truckers and Tom Savini yet again is sex machine. Uh, and because of an altercation, uh, in the, as they came in, they end up starting shit. And, um, Gwen Tarantino gets stabbed in the hand. And then the blood kind of like turns the whole place into vampires. And it happens, like, really fucking hard, where the band is playing a dead body guitar, and it just gets, like, from very serious to, to kind of wacky and, like, so over the top. But, yeah, it's still kind of, like, because I I would think mostly because of Harvey Keitel, Julia Lewis, and George Clooney at that point, like, their performances kind of, like, hold it ground in reality, even though it kind of, like, just goes into this, like, bloodbath where I, there's like what like over like 50 60 70 deaths in that place and like just a, just a few minutes five minutes maybe so and uh i and i think it's just interesting that that is the climax of the film or at least i think anyways that that's the climax of the film and it's like exactly when the movie turns into something that would fit in the genre so 
Uh, and the only foreshadowing that I saw in the movie that was uh, the kids precinct 13 t-shirt, which kind of, which is homage to assault on precinct 13, which is sort of kind of one of these movies minus the vampires. But, um, I'm sure you guys have seen this. What do you guys think? Well, um, yeah. And this is, let's put it like this. I hate George Clooney, and I love this movie. And I think this has been, how many tops is, top lists has this been in, Kent? Oh, good. Vampires? It fits so many criteria uh, for us. Yeah, this has been, a, like, music. Like, I love the fucking song that Selma Hayek does the fucking... Like dance to tarantula, yeah. yeah. After dusk, yeah. I mean, yeah. shit. The blasters songs in at the beginning, Dark Knight, fucking awesome. Um, yeah, this is probably one of the best genre bending movies ever made, if not the best genre bending movie ever made. Um, and I think a lot of that just has to do to like how tight a collaboration it was between Quentin and Robert Rodriguez. And, uh, what is it? Kurt, Kurt, uh, who's the special effects guy? Robert Kurtzman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a K&B, where it was like a showpiece of, of these special effects guys. Yeah. And, like you said, it's got some great fucking cameo, you know, Tom Savini. There's a guy named Sex Machine with a fucking revolving pistol on his fucking codpiece. You know, Fred Williamson, you know, fucking stabbing a vampire to the death with a fucking pencil after he rips its heart out. Um, yeah, like, I forgot John Hawks was in it at the beginning, but yeah, Michael Parks was the ranger talking to him, and he went on to be, yeah. you know, pretty big in a bunch of uh, Kevin Smith horror movies. Um, outside of Desperado, I think this is the, the really the big thing that caused Selma Hayek to take off or Hayek to take off in Hollywood. I mean, once people saw her doing that, that, uh, dance with the fucking Python. Um, is this probably one of Quentin's like largest acting roles in his career? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Harvey Keitel and George Clooney crushed it. And Juliette Lewis was great too. Yeah. And, at the end, I think you feel for her more than just anybody else. You're like, what the fuck is she going to do now that she's fucking stuck in Mexico with no family, having to drive this giant fucking RV with a shit ton of money? Yeah. And then it has the the reveal at the end where it kind of opens up. And I haven't really watched many of the sequels, and I was kind of like looking at the videos, and there is like a giant backstory to this movie. I don't know if it existed beforehand or came up with uh, the series or sequel films. Yeah, I mean, the the ending was pretty awesome. Oh, there are just so many awesome scenes in this, like Cheech's fucking monologue that I'm not going to go into because I want to keep us, you know, semi-uncensored. Um, yeah. <laughs> outside the titty twister. What's he talk about again? <laughs> apple pie. Yeah, the apple. Oh, yeah, fine. <laughs> we got the new yeah. flavor. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find anything cheaper, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and to just, you know, to bring this completely full circle, when Kevin was talking about uh, back at the beginning, how he, he got into Quentin Tarantino and loved it. And, you know, 
Reservoir Dogs was such a big... I remember one weekend when we went to Russ's house up in Mayfield, and all we did that entire weekend was just recreate the script Reservoir Dogs over and over and over again, just switching up who was... You know, like, which character was the the undercover cop and which character was the psycho every single time. And again... There was another weekend that my brother shot me with his fucking 9mm BB gun. <laughs> but Apropos, there you go, Russ. Yeah. That, was, that, was a fucking, that was a fucking fun weekend. You know, for me, this was like a, a movie that introduced me to a lot of people that I, I now come to to love. And probably I'd seen them before, but never gravitated to them. So like, I really didn't know who the fuck Tom Savini was. I had no idea, like, about his connection to, like, all, all this makeup and shit. Like, I knew him as Sex Machine, okay? And, like, I didn't know who Fred Williamson was. I knew who John Saxon was. But, like, by and large, uh, you know, Juliette Lewis, this was probably, like, the second thing I'd ever seen her in, you know, aside from Natural Born Killers. Uh, George Clooney, I don't think I knew who the hell he was. Possibly I knew, like, he was probably doing ER by then, but the only other thing I knew him from was, like, a couple of episodes of Roseanne. I, I think he was on Roseanne. Oh, least. yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah, uh, Jackie's um, boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't know who, how, I, I didn't know who the hell Danny Trio was. I didn't know who Selma Hayek was. Like, this was a point in my life where, uh, my knowledge of actors was pretty pretty slim like it just wasn't that sophisticated not that it is nowadays but it's it's gotten better uh like this movie really opened me up to so many people that you know i come back to time and time again and you know every time i see fred williamson the very first thing i will think of is this movie and Actually, probably every time I see Tom Savini, I think of this movie. Every time I see Cheech, I think of this movie. I don't think of the Cheech and Chong movies. I think of this fucking movie. So this movie had a far-lasting impact. Like, I don't even know like how good it is. All I know is that it had a huge impact on my life uh, for the greater good. So I am eternally grateful that this movie exists in the first place. Oh, I mean, I love the fact that Cheech has multiple characters in the movie and nobody ever fucking remarks on it. <laughs> hey, yeah, what, what, yeah. what were they? Psychos? Do psychos fucking explode when sunlight hits? <laughs> I don't care how crazy they are. I love this. It's got yeah, so many great lines, too. Yeah, so much great dialogue where it does almost... And at parts, it kind of feels like it's sort of like a horror comedy like in the lines of like bordello of blood and but like quentin tarantino's dialogue is so good and it's not that corny um i mean maybe the okay vampire killers let's kill some fucking vampires line but even then you're all pumped for it oh yeah this puts bordello of blood oh, yeah. this is this is easily <laughs> i don't i don't know if i can make a number on it but it's one of my favorite movies ever made yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. So good choice for number one, and way to shame me, Kevin, because I didn't have that in my freaking list of like thirty different possibilities. So now I'm feeling shame. Um, so thank you for that. Well, I 
figured that maybe that one would not come up, but I just kind of like racked my brain of like looking at the list that you gave me, and I was like, what was the movie that I liked as a kid? And then it just kind of like came to me at that like you know when they're all locked in there and like going through the condoms and blessing holy wine and <laughs> terrific film. No, no shame. Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was definitely one of the ones I was I was thinking of when I said you know there there are certain ones that would be on I think everybody's top list when we get to get there. Uh, all right. So without further ado, I'll hit my number one, and um, it's not a genre genre bending film, but I think it's a genre combining film, um, and that uh, I really liked Pandorum. Uh, I don't hear it get brought up often, but I think it's like a, a really good combination of horror, science fiction, action. My cat is sitting right on my head right now. Um, and action. Uh, God damn it. She's whapping me in the face with her fucking tail. Um, combined. Uh, ben Foster in that? Yeah, that's the one with Ben Foster yeah. and Dennis Quaid. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. I, I just bought that movie, and I can't wait to rewatch it. Norman Reedus was in it. I forgot that he was in it before I went and rewatched it. Um, yeah, it's uh, like something happens to the spaceship and um, some of the crew who's been in uh, cryosleep gets ejected to wake up to see what's going on. Only it looks like instead of, you know, something happening right away, it's taken fucking years for them to be woken up. Uh, and as they go through the spaceship trying to get it reset and figure out what's going on, you find out that there are these creatures within it. And, uh, fuck, how old is it? It's, it's old. I can fucking spoil it. Um, so it turns out that, yeah, actually, the spaceship's been on marooned on a planet for like 10,000 years. And over the course of that time, uh, the humans who were woken up from cryosleep have degenerated into like. Morlock type fucking cannibalistic people missing like with no nose so they can, you know, sniff out people easier to, to catch them. And, uh, randomly, uh, the one guy who survived, who's kind of manipulated things to get this way to play God awakens different parts of the crew who are still in cryosleep to basically let them be eaten by these, uh, uh, degenerate mutants. Uh, which was a twist I did not see coming, which is always something that makes me appreciate a movie when I don't see it. Uh, probably can go back to the usual suspects to thank them for making me enjoy shit like that. But, uh, again, I rarely see it listed in horror lists. I do, you do see it pretty often in science fiction lists, but that's probably because there's less good science fiction than there is good horror. Yeah, this one wasn't wasn't on my radar either. Uh, and I looked up some lists. Nope. Yeah, it's it's not again, like Kent said, it's not a great movie, but it's entertaining and I it combines, you know, like I said, a bunch of genres. So you've got horror and science fiction, which, you know, very few uh franchises successfully continue to capture after initial success. Uh, I mean, look at like just some of the aliens and predator sequels that we've got. But there's also action like the Oriental guy and it, uh, gets into, um, 
you know, like martial arts fights with some of these fucking mutants. Uh, um, and again, I like the twist. So you've seen this one, haven't you, Kat? Yeah, I, 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 I think I may own. I think I own it on DVD. I don't know if I own it digitally. Yeah, it's it's in um, your um your voodoo. It yeah. is. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm looking at the more like this, and it's a perfect, like, cross-section, nonetheless, of, like, Event Horizon, Pitch Black, Daybreakers, and Sunshine, and all of those kind of make sense. Like, every once in a while, IMDb gets it right, because I can see where all four of those can kind of fit in here. Um, Sunshine was actually one of them that I saw on a list, um, but I didn't see Pandorum, and that... that uh, it was a good See, some of some of the things that I, I was thinking about, I was like, don't really work because, you know, like, you know, A, everybody's a school kid who all came to, who all knew each other before they came together. Or, you know, like Sunshine, you know, they're all astronauts. So even though they're, they're different, they're not strangers. They, they were all assigned to work together for this shit. Prince of Darkness. Um, yeah. Uh, well, okay. Prince of Darkness, whatever. But, um, you know, things like that versus, you know, like something where, everybody is a complete stranger to each other, or at least the majority of people are complete strangers to each other. You know, that was one of the reasons why I was like, well, what are we considering like a group, you know, like less for the number of people, but more for like, Oh, if, if two people knew each other before, but then there's like three different groups brought together. But I mean, it is what it is. And I, again, I tried to go off the beaten path instead of hitting stuff that we've already talked about. So there you go. Nice. Or Kent, bring us home. Uh, you know, I, I know I've been trying to avoid things that we've talked about in the past, um, but I, I am not going to be apologetic for what I'm about to choose. Arguably the greatest movie about June 19th ever, Maximum Overdrive. Which should come as no surprise to anybody that's listened to this damn podcast. I, I, I it's it's a perfect movie. It, it, it genuinely is. I mean, minus all the imperfect aspects, but it's a perfectly silly film. Uh, I've talked about it so much, but it it has you know one of the all time greatest soundtracks. It has very memorable scenes for all the right reasons. Um, it has uh, ATM calling Stephen King an asshole. Um, I don't know if Emilio Estevez has ever been better in his life. I mean, ever. Uh, and the the Goblin truck. So I don't really need to offer much else. Like this, this had to been my number one. I, I could have gone any number of ways, but out of sheer, you know. Just, it's me. I have to choose Maximum Overdrive, and I'm not going to apologize. So there we go. That's it. The VHS cover at the video store was like so iconic, and and still is. Yeah, everybody more than the movie itself. Yeah, they did a good job with that. I've seen the cover for years, and it was like, oh, what is this? I've and you know probably another, I don't know five to eight years before I ever saw the damn film. No, I watched it, I watched it, like, so you're right. all the time, like, 
that was like another childhood movie. My dad and my mom are huge Stephen King fans. So if there was like a Stephen King movie that where I see this is rated R, where there's like, I don't know, not a lot of sex in it, which there might be some, but not like a lot of sex and like, I don't know, too crazy. Usually sex was where they drew the line, but yeah, I was. So, so you're talking about like, you wouldn't have taken your mom to see sleepwalkers. No. Oh, uh, well, well, <laughs> guess who did? <laughs> well, I mean, my mom would have had to brought me to see sleepwalkers, but, uh, <laughs> sorry, Kent. Like, I'm sorry. I- well, Kevin, I I I asked my mom to take me on on Easter that particular year that Sleepwalkers came out. Uh, had no idea that there was a whole <laughs> incestual storyline, and uh, still beaming with pride over that faux pas. Uh, but at the time, you know, it, it was like, oh, Stephen King, new movie. The trailers sound good. Let's go see it. Oh, yeah. So. You know, it's weird that they really didn't get the uh, quote-unquote hot chick right in this movie. That That's the biggest flaw. Like, for everything that this movie is, like, it, it's so stupid, so cheesy and everything. You really would have expected, honestly, I would have expected, like, a blonde bombshell in, in, in the main hot chick role. And instead, uh, the girl... Eh, she was okay looking, but like she wasn't a good actress at all. It, it's really the biggest down point is how big of a role she had and how bad she was at it. You know what? I th- but Pat, oh, Hing- go ahead. Pat Hingle's there. I think this you know? is an, so, an example of the very exact opposite of the mist, where like the short story was. I mean, they're both. Let's put it like they're both good. But um, the short story ends on a relatively ambiguous but slightly positive note, and the movie is fucking completely nihilistic. And if you read this short story and compare it to the movie, like the short story is completely nihilistic in the ending, and the the movie ends on a much more positive place. How how does it end in the short story? Um, the 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 main guy. I don't remember if it was you know contiguous with Emilio Estevez is stuck just pumping gas nonstop for this line of cars and trucks that are just rolling in. Um, oh, that's cool. Uh, nonstop into the gas station. And then he starts thinking about shit. What's going to happen when the planes start running out of fucking, you know, gas and falling out of the sky. And, um, the machines, you know, when he starts to get dehydrated to the point where he can't stand anymore, they start beeping at him and make somebody else come out and replace him. And he's like, this is just what I have to look forward to until I die. Oh, that is pretty morally devastating. Now, did either of you ever see Trucks, which was supposed to be basically the same kind of story? They hyped it up as like the truer telling of the story, but I, I never saw it because it looked like crap. Timothy Busfield was in it. I mean, if there's a movie about trucks, you got to get a guy named Busfield, right? I never saw yeah. it, no. I never saw it either. And I wish, I really wish I have. I was interested in seeing it for like a little bit, and I just never really got around to it. But I will watch it some someday. 
I, you know, I'm I'm making a note. Every podcast, I always make a note to watch something from the podcast that I hadn't seen. And Truck seems like a good place to start with a 3.9 IMDb rating. How bad can it be? Um, <laughs> it could be, uh, it, yeah, it could be bad, but it also could be good. It was a TV movie. It was USA that did it. Yeah. So I mean, USA did give us the great film uh, Buried Alive, which is hard as hell to find nowadays, like on physical media. But I think it might still be on something like it might be on Tubi, actually. I would say like Stephen King TV movies are about fifty fifty. So I think you got especially if Mick Garris is involved (laughs) or Stephen King just to throw him. For that matter. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah, St- Stephen King just needs to focus on how amazing his hair is and not do any more directing. Well. Or yelling at Stephen one of the One of the funny things <laughs> I, I read was just when you were talking about it, I read uh, on the Maximum Overdrive IMD page, people are like, when they asked Stephen King, why hasn't he directed anything since Maximum Overdrive? He's like, have you seen Maximum Overdrive? Yeah, he was on a lot of coke then, though. He's been... I think. I think that was like... Uh, I mean, I think he's he's probably... I don't want to be ageist, but too old to really direct something. I mean, like, he's what? Got to be close to 80 now? Oh, yeah. And I mean... Yeah. I mean, if he has a- you have somebody like Clint Eastwood being able to do it because he's been doing it for so fucking long. You know, he's been in the business as an actor, producer, and a director for for what, like, 60-some-odd years? Oh, he, you know, he was born in 47, so he's 75. That's... I guess it, I mean, yes, yeah. it's close to 80, but... Uh, you know, I just want him to stick to doing his little cameos. I, I... Is there a cameo of Stephen King from any of his books, or, you know, books that turned into movies that you didn't enjoy? Like, I always enjoy those little things. Yeah, I mean, even... Even that one segment of Creep Show where he was oh, yeah. he was it, you know, oh, he was pretty man. good in it. I think that was his he, best. Yeah, he was. I think that was the best. Yeah. But usually he has smaller parts. I mean, uh you know, he was in the stand, the original miniseries. And it was like You don't have to tell me, Kevin. Yeah. And it was like, okay. <laughs> eh. You know, it was you didn't have like a little a good line or anything, like you but he didn't have really lines at all, but he was in, like, a couple episodes, I believe. Yeah, he played Teddy, and then when they remade it, they actually made Teddy into, like, an actual character. Which was kind of weird. Actually, you know, a good cameo of his was in a movie I didn't like, which was It Chapter 2. I really enjoyed that cameo. Actually, wait. That's a podcast idea. I just... Come on, Chris. Which best Stephen King pot cameos? Uh, I mean, I guess yeah. I mean, it would be thirty minutes that, long. That, that's never going to happen because we'll never do a podcast that short. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and there's a lot to choose from of Stephen King cameos. Has he cameoed in any of the ones that he sold the rights to for a dollar? You know, like all of the shorts that they did. You know, like. Gray Matter or any any of those? That I don't yeah. know. Because if that's the case, then fuck it, dude. And then his filmography goes to like fucking five hundred. Yeah. 
He has the worst IMDb page out of anybody that I look at. He really does. I'll give you that. It's just... It is the epitome of a visual clusterfuck that is really difficult to, like, try to sift through and find what you're sometimes looking for, unfortunately. Uh, Alright, it looks like he only has 28 actor credits. So I guess, you know... Really? Okay, so that podcast would not be nearly as bad as I thought it would be. It would be even shorter because some of them are like Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yeah, he was in Sons. Damn. Or Frasier or The Simpsons. So, yeah, it would be not as long. Right, right, right. Hmm. You know, I I feel like he's been in so much more, but I I guess it's just the things I've seen him in were somewhat uh, memorable. For me, at least. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think we're at a point where we can get our break in now. Yeah. All right. So we have gone over in this podcast, our top five, top five movies, cube adjacent to make my friend Kent happy. Uh, when we come back and is this going to be part B or just a new episode? Part B. Okay. I have a long list of things that I feel we can kind of chit chat. When we come back for episode 38, part B, uh, we'll be talking about Cube itself and just kind of rolling our stream of consciousness that we do at the end of every episode. So please uh, either come back or just roll right into this, depending upon um, how you're listening to us. All right. See you in a few.